You're listening to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your host, Dan, from uh, ACC Content and Micah from Fifth Quarter. I switched it up today, Dan. I guess it's guess it's that kind of day. I'm kind of excited for uh, Sunday NFL football. Of course, you know, your Jets are playing the 49ers, so good luck. And we've got the Texans. I'm excited for a Lamar Jackson-Deshaun Watson game today at 4.30. So, going to be a nice little fun ACC matchup as a Ravens fan, of course, I hope. Deshaun or Lamar comes out on top, but you know, who knows? Hopefully, hopefully we get a reversal of that college game, which I actually got to attend a couple years back. But back to our sole focus of the podcast. Week two of the ACC season happened. Uh, we had some interesting games. Definitely the the nightcap was better than the day day games for sure. But overall, I think we got a little bit more uh, answers about some of the teams. We had some question marks. Boston College, was, I think, is one of them, and. NC State the other, so we'll kind of dive into these games here, Dan, but any like initial thoughts after uh, week two that actually featured a pretty full ACC slate? Yeah, um, some surprises, I gotta say, like I, like, I expected um, Miami and Louisville to be a very high-scoring shootout game, but I did not expect Louisville, I did not expect Louisville defense to be as bad as they were, and the Miami offense to be so great, um, kind of Boston College also a pretty big surprise I didn't expect them to just completely route out Duke um 26 to 6 but yeah just very much better slate I gotta say and um a lot of excitement in ACC football yeah I mean this was a a good week I mean it's gonna be strange next week a team like Duke who we've seen twice We'll be playing Virginia in their first game. That's going to be weird. <laughs> we know a little bit about Duke, and we still don't know much about Virginia. So definitely excited to kind of wrap up week two and look forward to week three. But I guess we'll just kind of jump right into it. We can kind of go either way, but since we kind of talked about Boston College and kind of the surprise we got from them and how I kind of just led into Virginia Duke for week four or week three of the ACC slate, let's dive into that Boston College-Duke game. Boston College with a 26-6 win over the Blue Devils. And what I would say was a pretty dominating performance. I mean, heck, they scored on their first drive. May have even been the first play. If not, it was the first couple plays, that's for sure, because I actually missed the first touchdown because I was transitioning and setting it up on my TV because, you know, it was on Raycom Sports Network, and I'm currently not in a spot where that was locally televised. So I had to find that game on ESPN3, which took a little minute. So I actually missed that initial touchdown for the Eagles. But – what a great debut for Halfley and the Eagles. I mean, they've done everything right with this COVID-19 situation, and then they get rewarded in week one for them, week two of the ACC slate by pretty much rolling a Duke team that we kind of had some confidence in after that week one performance against Notre Dame. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's hard to really get a hold of Duke now because, um, you know, they looked pretty solid held in there against Notre Dame, and now – Look at this. They lose by 20 against Boston College. But, um, yeah, how about those Eagles? They held Duke to just six points. But what I was really impressed with was their offense. Phil Dracovic, he threw a pick early, but he had a really nice day. He looked really sharp with his throws. And um, he even extended some plays, showed his kind of dual threat ability. Um, 17 for 23, 300 yards and two touchdowns. And what I was also really impressed with, Zay Flowers. He was really a problem, made people miss in the open field. And there was that one play, just a complete Duke defensive breakdown where he was just wide open, like 
40 yards down the field, nobody within a 20-yard vicinity of him. And he ended up with 162 yards and a touchdown. And um, as always, Hunter Long looked great. The Duke safeties really had trouble with his size. So just a really um, good overall day for Boston College. But I was most impressed by their offense for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some notes to take away. I think the biggest thing that has stood out to me and really gives me some confidence moving forward with Boston College this year is, you know, we talked about the run game and how how talented that offensive front is and how David Bailey may not be the same level as A.J. Dillon, but it's not a huge drop-off considering when you lose an All-American back like A.J. Dillon. And they really didn't have to do much to win this football game. They Duke slowed them down to start the game, and they kind of – I wouldn't say abandon the run because they still had, I remember correctly, about 40 rushing attempts. But, yeah, they had 42 rushing attempts. But they they realized they were they only had 84 yards rushing the whole game. So that's two yards per carry. That's not a solid look. But that's okay. Boston College in years past when they couldn't run the football, they were going to get smoked. This time around, like you said, Jakovic had a great day. It sounds like it is Jakovic from what we've I've heard from the broadcast. So it sounds like we've been saying it right on the podcast. But regardless, you know, 300 yards passing. That's if you would have told me Boston College had 300 yards passing yesterday, I would have called you a liar. And that was definitely something really positive to see uh, moving forward with the Eagles because you know the slate for them. You know, everyone was talking about, well, maybe they're a bowl team, maybe they're not. Well. <laughs> If there are bowl games this year, I'm starting to think Boston College is, is a lock for a bowl game. My question to you, Dan, because it was three fumbles and all of them were lost and then two interceptions thrown. Was it Boston College's defense making plays or was Duke just that sloppy? Because in my opinion, I felt it was a combination of both, but I lean more towards Duke just honestly looking bad. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it was, I think it was mostly Duke just being sloppy, like, Boston College defense is – they look good today or yesterday, but they're not really known for that side of the ball. And um, keep in mind, they also – those five bad turnovers, but they also had a short field goal that they missed. So just – they were moving the ball down the field, but they couldn't um, put points on the board once again. Actually, the total yards is really close, 384 to 351. But, yeah, the five turnovers really made the difference. And I wouldn't say Bryce, Chase Bryce, lost them the game, but he certainly did not do enough to keep them in it, and he really didn't have that breakout game I was anticipating. But um, I will say the one positive to take away from Duke, I got to give a lot of credit to Victor Demukeji, who is all over the backfield, especially in the first half, just doubled the sacks leader from week one with three and a half just in that game. I believe all of them were in the first half. So – at least if you want one positive takeaway for Duke, besides the fact that they did move the ball, Victor G. Mukherjee was a stud. Yeah, after week two of the ACC slate, the leading uh, QB pressures and hurries in the country, not just in the ACC after these couple weeks of play, are Chris Rumpf and um, Victor D. Mukherjee. So, Definitely a, a positive for Duke. I mean, Duke's defense is going to be formidable. That's why I'm very excited for that UVA-Duke matchup because you know, we have so many question marks about UVA's offense, and we know what Duke's defense can do, and I think that it's going to be a matchup of you know on the question marks because I think Virginia's defense is going to do a great job slowing down you know, and causing turnovers, kind of like their Havoc kind of style of play that they like to play with against you know a Duke team that's 
Well, offensively, <laughs> not looked very good. That's uh, And that probably is an understatement here because, I mean, yeah, it's great that you can move the ball, but if you can't finish, what's the point? I mean, we, we've seen that so many times, and it's not even so much like it's a Duke kicker situation. I mean, yeah, their kicker hasn't, like you said, you missed a short field goal yesterday, but it wasn't like Duke was out here, you know, getting down to like, you know, the 18-yard line and settling for 35-yard field goals and missing it every single time. Like, you're talking about, yeah, key interceptions in the red zone, key fumbles in the red zone, like just failure to comp- to put up points. And that's just – I have a lot of concerns for Duke. I, I put a poll out on Twitter about who's the worst team after week two in the ACC, and, and Duke was getting – I think they're the second highest voted team in that. And, and I can see that being an argument. I mean, if it weren't for the fact Syracuse has looked really bad, which we'll get on to their game next, you know – those two teams have had, you know, they've had a chance to really kind of test themselves and they haven't really passed the test. They've actually, I would say, probably failed it. But any other thoughts as we move kind of on from this game onto the next noon kickoff on the ACC slate? No, I'm not. I'm just not quite ready to get up on Duke yet just because I feel like they could fix up a few things and be in these games. But, yeah, Syracuse is just a completely different story, which I guess we'll talk about now. Like, that is just a program that there's just so much that they need to fix and so much that they need to – like, changes that they need to make. Yeah, my issue with Syracuse, of course, we're talking about yesterday's game with 25th-ranked Pitt, which was a 21-10 Pitt lead, which I'll go into my Pitt rant here in a minute. But as we're talking about Syracuse, I think the biggest thing that just frustrates the living heck out out of me is the fact in both of their games both UNC and Pitt gave them a chance to be in that game gave them a chance to take the lead gave them a chance to honestly win the football game and they haven't taken it it's almost like someone gives you a gift and then you go return it from the place they got it I mean it's just unbelievable how you know yesterday Syracuse got the lead to make it 10 to 7 after that that interception by Kenny Pickett and it's just like what are these guys like? You oh man, Syracuse might take advantage of this, and uh, you know they they don't. <laughs> Pitt's offense is not that juggernaut team that you know necessarily that I would talk about. But if you've shown back to back performances against both UNC and Pitt, and pretty much kept your team in the game, credit to you because I I didn't expect a lot. I, I honestly <laughs> Syracuse didn't lose football games this year. I thought it was going to be like a 38 to 20 kind of shootout kind of style game. It's been the exact opposite. And honestly, credit to Syracuse's defense for honestly making them least, you know, potentially have an argument for not being the worst team in the ACC because offensively they've they are clearly above and beyond the worst team in the conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing is, yeah, that's a very good point. The defense. And their secondary especially is not bad at all. And if their offense – like, they just put them in awful spots. They make the defense play like a 1,000 snaps a game. And their offense just – their offense is what makes them look like the worst team in the ACC. Like, their offensive line just got eaten up, as expected, by that pit pass rush. But as a proponent of that Saxar quarterback stat, I'm starting to think maybe DeVito is holding on to the ball a little too long. Um I don't think Culpepper will be a positive change. Like, there's nothing about him that makes me think that it's any better for him. But it's just starting to get much harder to um, stick up for DeVito. But, um, yeah, all this negativity about Syracuse, let's get into Pitt a little bit. Like, this was a sloppy game on both sides. Pitt did not 
look great, but I don't think it was as bad, in my opinion, as people say. Like, especially if you consider how other teams have not really, like, looked fantastic out of the gate. Look at UNC against the same team. Look at Louisville losing to Miami. We thought they were in that same kind of three to five range. Even Notre Dame didn't look great in week one against Duke, who just got destroyed by Boston College. But um, the thing is about this pit offense, I saw them go back to old habits, those old conservative play calling that they used to do under their old offense coordinator, Sean Watson. I think I want to see more plays where Pickett is stepping up in the pocket and just rifling it because that is when they were most successful. And hopefully they go to more of that because aside from those conservative play calling, they also had a lot of him rolling out of the pocket and he is just not that kind of quarterback. He could make plays and, and, you know, make some like, you know, he's under a lot of duress and all of a sudden powers through and rushes for five, 10 yards, but he's not going to be accurate on the run. So um, I just want to see a little bit of a change in the pit offense, but I'm not too worried about them. I just, my opinion of them hasn't changed. I really want to see them against Louisville next week because that I feel like that's kind of a game where it's more of, you know, it's not like the team that wins is for real. It's more of neither of the teams could lose that game. Yeah, and I will give Pitt some credit. You mentioned they kind of went back to some old habits with conservative play calling, and that is true to a point. I do want to give them credit. I, I mixed up. I said the interception led to the touchdown. I don't know why I was thinking that. I'm thinking of the fumble that led to the opening field goal for Syracuse that gave them the lead. The interception was later on in the game, and then, you know, they decided – Syracuse decided to give the ball right back. But um, – you know, via a turnover as well. But I think the thing that kind of stood out to me was after that fumble, you know, of course, Pitt's defense holds Syracuse to six yards, but the fumble happened, of course, in they're deep in their own territory. So, of course, you know, Syracuse settles for a field goal. That next drive, they return with a seven-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. So I'll give them credit because they, they did not just, you know, because we've seen it before with Pitt when they know they're a better football team than their opponent. When something like that happens, you mentioned it. They like to kind of, I wouldn't say coward up, because that's not a fair way of putting it, but go back to their conservative style. It's handed off, short little dump-off passes. Like, let Pickett move the ball quick. Let's not, you know, take our shots. Let's not spread out the defense. And they honestly didn't seem to hesitate with that, at least after momentum-changing plays. But anyways, moving on to the next game of our slate, the – Notre Dame fighting Irish, of course, it still feels weird to have them in the ACC, put on a clinic against South Florida. And that game, honestly, I, we, I don't think any of us thought it was going to be that close, but I don't think anyone saw 52 to nothing in the future. I mean, that was bad. Last year, I watched South Florida play in person against Wisconsin uh, when Wisconsin won 49 to nothing. And I thought that was atrocious. I mean, it kind of shows you at USF. I mean, obviously, I love the Jeff Scott hire, but they have a lot to, <laughs> lot to work out. And I think Notre Dame has kind of made their point that, you know, they did not come out well against Duke, and they wanted to prove that they are better than what they showed in week one against Duke. So, Dan, what were your takeaways from this 52 to nothing route by the yeah, Irish? I – See, South Florida, not the best program as of now, but this is an FBS American Athletic Conference opponent. So you got to give credit to Notre Dame for taking care of business. They were just 
handing the ball off all day. Like Ian Book really didn't do much. He was just handing the ball off, and all three running backs had monster days. I believe they had three backs between like 90 and 100 yards, which is just crazy. And I'm not saying this drastically changes my opinion on Notre Dame at all. It really doesn't, but it kind of cements them a little bit in that number two spot for at least the two to three range. Um, obviously, we'll see if they're able to dominate week next week, but a team like that with the ranking of a two to three in the ACC, especially a much better ACC in the way, you know, Wake lost to NC State, which we'll talk about later. I think, I think Notre Dame should get off to a nice, not only three, three and um, oh start, but a couple of sure-handed victories to top that off. Yeah, I think one thing that really stood out to me, and I didn't, I'm, I'm not gonna let this probably the ACC game that I watched the least of, just because I don't know, I just couldn't find it on my streaming service and my main TV with cable. I didn't want to have USA Network on. I thought there were better games to have on the main TV that had the cable set up. But here's their drive charts to start the game: 54-yard touchdown drive, 43-yard touchdown drive, 58-yard touchdown drive, 53-yard touchdown drive, 40. Six-yard drive, missed the field goal, 33-yard touchdown drive, and a 60-yard field goal drive. This took you all the way to the third quarter. That is seven drives where they had a chance to score points. They scored on six of those. Five touchdowns. I mean, again, it's South Florida, but you also you hit the nail on the head. This is still an American Athletic Conference team, a, a team that, you know, is by no means no pushover. It's probably the one of the tougher non-conference games, honestly, that our conference has this year with so many of our teams playing FCS opponents. And they looked good. But any other final thoughts on Notre Dame overall? I think – I mean, we'll get to our team of the week, but they're definitely a team up there for consideration for team of the week. But um, any other notes on Notre Dame, or can we move on to what was the biggest game in the conference and kind of ended up being the most disappointing performance in the conference? Yeah, I think it's time to move on to um, Georgia Tech, at least at the end of the game, and the score-wise really getting destroyed or, yeah, by uh, UCF. Yeah, I, I'm i trying not to be negative about this team, the Georgia Tech, because, I mean, I predicted the upset, but that was bias kicking in. I mean, UCF, of course, right now where everyone's at, might even talent-wise be better per se because, of course, they've been getting the same type of recruits, but they've been there for a few years. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel's a fantastic quarterback, and UCF's a very good team. But I'm very frustrated that I saw the exact same type of performance from Georgia Tech last week against Florida State as I did this week. And I think we mentioned it on a review pod last week after the Florida State game, right? The thing I took away from that game, I think Georgia Tech, again, credit to them for coming back and winning that football game. But Florida State let them hang around and hang around and hang around and never, like, never took advantage of major mistakes. Yeah. Um, I think we did learn that UCF is definitely a better team than Florida State, to say the least. I, I – Give them a lot of credit. They had a really good offense and secondary coming in, as um, the writer said, and it showed in this game. Just overall, I think they're a very good team. But Georgia Tech made tons of sloppy mistakes, as you said, and the turnovers um, were just bad. They they showed, like, a lot of flash, a lot of, like, hype and ability to, you know, score some points, but they just – 
I think they just need to clean things up. They're not there yet. But what I don't want people to do is double overreact. And what I mean by that is initially a lot of people were on the hype train after their win last week. And now after this loss by three possessions or four possessions to um, UCF, they're, they have completely jumped off that hype train and they think that Georgia Tech is, again, among the bottom of the ACC. Like, we, we need to just be realistic for what they are. They're a 9-10 to 10 range ACC team with a ton of potential for their future. And, I mean, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I didn't change them in my power rankings this week. I, this is just what we should expect for a team at this part of the ACC. I think we just really, I guess, underestimated UCF a little bit in our predictions. or. I guess maybe we were a little bit guilty of being on that hype train, but it didn't show in our power rankings. I'm not sure. But um, either way, like I said, Sims has a ton of potential. I think he'll be one of the ACC, the better ACC quarterbacks soon, but he needs to clean things up. He needs to, um, he needs to have fewer turnovers and just make, fewer mistakes and also keep in mind he doesn't have the receiving core going in that Sam Howell, Trevor Lawrence, even Sam Hartman, those true freshmen that had really good seasons in their true freshman year had. So you got to put that into consideration. He doesn't have the best offensive line. He has phenomenal running backs though. That's the biggest positive of the game I'll say. And the last thing I'll say, Jameer Gibbs was fantastic. Getting it done the running game, 66 yards, the receiving game, he had 60 yards, and it wasn't even like just little dump-offs where he made things happen. Like he was running routes down the field and making catches. And then how about returning the opening kick to the UCF 20? So really good um, future for Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech. Yeah, and there's, there's definitely a lot of bright spots to take away. I mean, I think one thing that stood out, of course, defensively they got – they got burned a decent amount, but I mean, offensively, they had 400 and where's the exact number? 462 yards of total offense. It's a pretty good day. <laughs> That's better than most. I think that was the third highest in the league this week. Or no, sorry, it's the fifth highest in the league because we had some shootouts. But still, regardless, well done there. I mean, the red zone efficiency, two of four, but again, not terrible. I mean, you basically saw a team. I what I saw in Georgia Tech yesterday is what UCF was a few years ago when they had their first step, not the year they claimed the national title, but the year before that, where they kind of took their first, like, major step, where that team, you know, really improved from a really tough season the year before and had all these bright spots, the total yards of offense, the getting into the red zone, having their opportunities. They just didn't take advantage of them, turning the ball over in key situations, having field goals blocked, but they're there. And that's definitely something that I'm very happy and happy and, you know, excited to see moving forward is, as this team develops and takes advantage of those opportunities. Any other thoughts before we move on to the a quick, brief discussion on our top team? No, I got nothing else to say. Let's move on to um, Clemson just completely routing the Citadel. Yeah, so in a million years, I never thought I would see Clemson be scoreless for a half. And the Citadel did it. <laughs> However, we, of course, know why. I mean, good for Clemson for not, you know, taking the, you know, and beating the living breaks off of the Citadel. I mean, Trevor Lawrence just looked as efficient as ever. Eight of nine, 168 yards, three touchdowns. Like, it's video game numbers. I do want to talk about what we got to see from DJ 
Ugalele. I can never say his name right. Maybe you can pronounce it better than I can. Ugalele. Maybe I don't know. Lele. Uyagalele. Say it one more time. Uyagalele. Okay, I'm gonna have to practice that in the mirror. That's gonna be my new like. That's gonna be my new uh my my new speech practice in the morning. If I have to do a, any sort of major speech, I'm just gonna say his name over and over again for the tongue twister. But he looks good. I mean, no touchdowns, but overall, not a bad day. Eight of eleven for seventy-five yards. I mean, no Trevor Lawrence, of course, but. He's got some potential. I did enjoy kind of seeing him go in there and make plays. Also, we got to see four quarterbacks for Clemson. That was kind of cool to see. Um, guys like Hunter Helms, who is also a freshman from South Carolina. And Taysoon, I don't even know how to say this name, but freshman, <laughs> freshman's got some opportunities. I mean, Travis Etienne, eight carries, 68 yards. You know, That's my issue with them potentially not winning the Heisman is these guys might be out. Oh, granted, there's probably not going to be another game as bad as this one on Clemson's schedule. But still, I mean, these guys are going to be done, you know, second, third quarter of games. But 49 nothing at halftime, not much to say. Clemson's the best team in the country. Yeah, combined Clemson and Notre Dame score, they won 101 to nothing um, yesterday. That is just crazy. But, um, yeah, like you said, just not much to say. Clemson is amazing. We've Saw the emergence of Frank Ladson, the wide receiver, who could be a weapon in their offense in the future. Um, but this game was over from the start, and I've never seen the backups come in this early. Like, the start of the second quarter, DJU is already in. Um, just say a couple words about maybe the future of the quarterback position. I'll say DJU, potentially that guy. He looked pretty solid, like you said. Uh, I'm not sure what's in store for that. I don't think it'll be Taysom P. Um, I'm just saying their last initials because they have really hard to pronounce last names, but in a very, very small sample size, he has not been very good. Um, I don't know what Clemson does about the future. Um, maybe bring in a transfer or something. Maybe it'll be DJU, but all we have to say is, you know, we still have a, another season ahead of us with Trevor Lawrence in the national championship them to get so the fact that all we're talking about is you know who will be Clemson's quarterback next year just says a lot about how just they're breezing through every opponent on their schedule yeah absolutely I guess we can move on to what could have been our de facto competitor for that you know predetermined Clemson Notre Dame conference championship game Miami, Louisville, primetime, ABC, 17th-ranked Hurricanes versus 18th-ranked Louisville. I remember when I saw that Miami was ranked higher, I was shocked. I remember when I saw that Miami was, you know, only a two-point dog, I was shocked. I, I, was, I was thinking Louisville should not run away with this game, but especially in the game that we received, which was a shootout, I thought for sure that favored the living daylights out of the Cardinals and well. Dan, I'm going to let you start this one off. Is Miami for real, or is Louisville just not as good as we thought? Um, it's hard to say. I'm going to go with a little bit of both. I think Louisville on the defensive side especially just looked lost. They were flat-out awful, to, I'm going to say. Um, 
I thought they'd be able to make the occasional stops when necessary, but boy, was I wrong. And that's something they really need to figure out. Um, the Louisville offense was not terrible. Uh, Cunningham, especially statistically wise, wasn't bad, but he was not sharp, I thought. Um, he just made too many mistakes and really couldn't capitalize in big situations. But I do got to give a lot of credit to Miami because Louisville, I still think, is a very good team. Maybe not like a top five ACC team, but they're close to it. So I got to give a lot of credit to Miami. Um, look, I was expecting this to be a shootout, but I was kind of slightly surprised to see Miami come out on top like this surehandedly. De'Ara King is looking great. Like he's looking like the ceiling of De'Ara King that we thought we were going to get because um, – we didn't know if he was going to be as good as he had the potential to be, but boy, has he been absolutely fantastic so far. And he has a very good weapon to go along with him in Brevin Jordan. Um, the receivers had some drops, but Pope also had a nice game. Um, Miami receiving course, not fantastic, not as good as last year, but they do have, you know, enough playmakers to be able to, you know, allow King to be King. Um, Cameron Harris and the run game were fantastic again. 134 yards on just nine carries. And of course, that helps when you have a big 75-yard touchdown um, included in that. And you have to give credit to the Miami offensive line for their improvement this year. Keep in mind, they're missing their NFL caliber guard and Navon Donaldson too. And they've just, they've just played really well. Um, a lot better than last year. They were one of the bottom lines in the ACC and one of the bottom lines in the country. And they've just overall a lot of improvement for Miami. Um, they gave up a lot of points as the one negative you could take away from this, but I think that's just the Louisville offense. So I, I'm going to go with a little bit of both. I think Miami is not saying the U is back at all, but they're, they're a little bit surprisingly good. And Louisville was a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I think I think the thing that kind of I took away from this that, that maybe frustrated me the most when it came to Louisville, or not maybe frustrated, but more just I felt bad for Louisville. Was, I mean, the Louisville offense struggled, per se, in the first half. That Miami defense came ready to play. I mean, they still moved the ball, but had to settle for field goals. And that was kind of a cause for concern, of course. It was a 20-6 to six game at halftime. Granted, I mean, in years past, I think this is what was completely different with Miami, and I don't want to say kickers change teams drastically, but holy crap. I mean, in years past, they couldn't – no offense to Bubba Baxa, but hit, my man couldn't hit anything beyond a 30-yarder, and even then it was still hit or miss if he was hitting inside 30. And then we've got Jose Baraglas out here bombing 57-yarders, 48-yarders. I mean, absolute money. I mean, if, the, if he doesn't make those two big kicks late in the half, it's a 14-6 game at the half. And that's, you know, a chance for a team like Louisville to really be in the ball game. But, you know, they really stepped up. But I think the thing that really frustrated me the most, and I'm sure if you're a Louisville fan, this could probably frustrate you as well, is, you know, Louisville comes out in the second half, and what do they do? They, they score right off the bat. You know, a good three, four-minute long drive, 55 yards. They kind of do what we expect from a Louisville offense. They finally kind of clicked made the adjustments at halftime they needed to go out and score and you know I'm starting to think after that touchdown man Louisville's about to make this game this game's going to come down to the final like minute or two 
And what does Louisville's defense do? Give up a 75-yard touchdown run on the very next offensive snap by Cameron Harris, which credit to Miami, but that offensive line did not really manhandle the Louisville front, and he did not get touched anywhere near the secondary. I mean, my man was gone. I'm not sold on Miami being a playoff team. Some people are, of course, hyping that up. But I think they might be the third best team in the conference now. And, I'm, and I, I've never been that high on UNC. But, I mean, the biggest question marks we've had about Miami, I mean, that defense is solid. They, in my opinion, they're the third most well-rounded team in the conference now. I'm still, I'm still on the UNC hype. Like, they could be four, but I still think UNC, they just played one sloppy half against Syracuse and then took care of business. Like, I still think that UNC is the team to beat besides Clemson and Notre Dame. But I think um, what we did learn about Miami is that they are for sure in that second tier of the conference. Absolutely. I think – I think another thing, too, that was big with Miami this week was they caused turnovers. They didn't do that against UAB, and I kind of was frustrated on that. That was a big cause of concern for me because that's what Miami's calling card was. Well, they caused three yesterday, and they didn't turn the ball over themselves. So Miami-UNC is going to be a heck of a game on December 5th if and when we get there. So that's going to be phenomenal. So we have to wait that long for it. But, yeah, that was – disappointing game per se but in the end in my opinion probably was still the most fun game because we got a lot of questions answered about both teams though it did create some questions as well for me about both teams especially Louisville but any other final thoughts before we move on to the final game of the night and probably the most shocking in my opinion yeah I just hope but I, I obviously don't have any um like bias in this but I just really don't want to see Miami now drop a game or let Florida State be in this game like they're they're starting to be hyped up they got to take care of business next week against FSU yeah sorry Florida State fans who are listening but uh, I'm a big Miami fan next week <laughs> so uh, just for the sake of the conference we at this point I mean everyone's written them off anyways let's continue to write Florida well, State off if Florida State win if Florida State wins and they actually like genuinely look good and they just have these drastic improvements and their defense is good and Tamori and Terry like just manhandles the Miami defense then that's okay but just given that I'm just assuming that Florida State is not a good team like I don't want to see Miami play down to them that's all I'm saying oh and the national media will completely write off the ACC again if that happens but yeah that's you know it's a different story but Moving on to the final game of the night, and the most disappointing for me, I was I'm not going to lie to you, even though the game was, you know, technically, you know, it, it flipped right before kickoff where Wake actually did become and close as the favorite, but NC State, of course, opened as the favorite, was the favorite all week, leading up even into the morning yesterday, and then it kind of started to change over. But I think the biggest thing for me to take away from this Wake Forest-NC State game, a 45-42 to win for the Wolfpack, was – what is up with Wake Forest's defense? Like, I mean, I, I get it. I, I really do. I mean, they've never been a huge defensive-oriented team. But they just looked awful. I mean, besides Boogie Bash, I'm getting in the backfield. I mean, and even then, like, he didn't have that great of a day. I, I just can't believe that NC State, you know, I mean, I do think NC State's improved. We've talked about this before. NC State's not as bad as of a team as they were last year. You know, they were started the year four and two and, you know, finished off one and five or whatever it was, but, or oh and six even, I think it may have actually would have been. But 
you know, it's just one of those things where I just, <laughs> I have so many more question marks than I had going into this game now because I'm starting to wonder if Wake's actually that bad or is NC State much improved? I think we'll know uh, this weekend when, you know, of course, NC State and uh, Virginia Tech kick off and Wake has Notre Dame. So we'll get a little bit more answers, but yeah, this game was, I mean, absolutely fun game to watch. I'm so glad it was the nightcap and I got to watch it all, you know, the whole the whole entire thing. But, I mean, Bailey Hockman, <laughs> surprised when we saw that he was the starter last minute, but now I see why. I mean, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal, very good game. We won't hype him up to be phenomenal just yet. But, I mean, NC State, credit to them. Take Dave Dorn. Not off the hot seat, but maybe because of COVID and everything going on in 2020, he's off the hot seat now. But that was impressive by by the uh, by NC State. But I'm kind of wondering if it was more of Wake Forest just not being as good as we thought, or as yeah. I thought, I should say. I'm not sure. Like I feel like we need time to tell us. But man, I'm just happy this game kind of bailed out the Miami Louisville game, which at that point of the night was kind of over. And then I was able to flip this on and completely lock in. And we had a neck and neck shootout, which I was, I was correct on the pace of play, but I, again, I did not think that um, NC state was going to win this game. I thought it would be close, but um, credit to them. Great game for the pack. Um, Bailey Hockman, surprise starter. I wouldn't say he did phenomenal. Like you said, but he certainly did enough, and I think he should for sure retain his job. Um, but the game was really won with their offensive line in the run game with both Bam Knight and Ricky Person. Combine them, they had 25 rushes for 196 yards. So NC State is maybe the new Boston College of the ACC if they could be successful just running the ball down everyone's throats. But for the wake side of the um, – of the spectrum. I'm a little bit concerned with their defense. Like you said, I like the front seven, I thought they were pretty stout, but they had a rough game. Um, Their offense is a little bit of an encouraging sign. Like Hartman looked solid. Walker looked great. But even, even with the offense, I was a little disappointed with that offensive line. He let them down, especially with sacks in big situations because Last year, they gave up just 22 sacks in 13 games. This year, 14 and already 14 in two games. So, um, you know, Wake Forest, we thought they're the strongest part of their team would be the line, and that has not been the case. I think that is my main concern for them to be successful along with their front seven stopping the run. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there are a couple positives. Um, we'll kind of, you know, getting some positives with Wake here. But at the same time, I mean, this is one of those – this is where the, the brutal side of that front half of the schedule for Wake kind of hits because in a year of so much uncertainty, I'm not saying teams are going to quit. I don't think Dave Clawson will let his guys quit. But when you've gone out and you, you get pretty much embarrassed on primetime ABC, college game day, all this stuff, all that hype, and you don't even really put up a real performance. Like, you're never in the game. You need the backups to score late just to cut, like, have a backdoor cover. 
And then the following week, you play your in-state rival that you've beaten, I think it's three years in a row or four years in a row. I think it was three, if I remember correctly, going into the game. And just find ways to, you know, they, they let, you know, State come up, they catch back up, they let State get the lead again, they come back up. And then they just think every time that Wake Forest got right back in the game or even took a small lead late. But any final thoughts? I, I'm going to give NC State the benefit of the doubt and say that they're just much better than we thought. And Wake Forest, you know, should have won the game. But at the same time, it wasn't like they looked, especially on offense, they definitely did not look bad. Yeah. Um, but NC State started out as this week as the bottom team in the ACC. And they just – they really surprised, so I got to say that. Um, as for Wake, a lot of people, or at least the ACC Network guys, were talking about the Clemson effect of how, you know, they go into the game confident, the Clemson game confident, they get absolutely destroyed, and then they kind of have that linger over into next week and play poorly. I'm not sure that's a thing. I have to kind of do some research on whether that, like, could actually be statistically backed up, how teams lose to work to bad teams after playing Clemson, not calling NC State a bad team, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, but, teams that are not at the level of Clemson. <laughs> yeah. So that's just all I have to say about that. Um, but just a, a solid slate of games, and I feel like just much better than last week. And um, I'm really starting to look forward to getting into the midst of this ACC season. Before we kind of log off here, let's quickly go through who are your offensive and defensive players of the week. And if you want to give the team a week, too, we'll just do those real quick. All right. So offensive player of the week, I've got Brevin Jordan. Um, seven catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Just a reliable target all day and made huge catches consistently in big situations. Um, defensive player, I went with Victor Demukeji on the losing side like you had last week with Asante Samuel Jr., but three and a half sacks. His team had a rough day, but he was a lone bright spot. Um, team of the week, this could be a lot of different teams. I went with Miami, getting it done on the road against a very highly titled Louisville team, scoring a ton of points and getting stops when necessary, so I got to give it to Miami. There are a ton of different directions to go with, but I thought we learned the most in a positive way about Miami this week. Yeah, those are all solid selections. Actually, we do have a crossover with one, and I'll just touch on that quick. My defensive player of the week was Victor Demukeji as well in a loss. My my accolades for this week all come from that game. So my offensive player of the week was Phil Jerkovic, 17 of 23 for 300 yards, two touchdowns. Seeing Boston College win a football game by throwing the football is something I did not expect in 2020 to see. So definitely was excited and happy to see that happen. So then that also leads into my team of the week, which will also be Boston College. I did consider NC State here because they really did catch me off guard, but I'm going to claim that more to my Wake Forest bias than it will be anything else um, with my confidence in Wake winning that game. But again, I did not think Boston College was going to beat Duke, and I definitely would not have predicted it to be a 20-point victory. So credit to what the Eagles did and on the heights up there. And honestly, watch out for Boston College. So that's kind of where my head's at. Moving on to our power rankings, Dan, do you have any major changes, anything like that? I have a couple, um, but we'll kind of let you go through and just kind of give me your 
power rankings for the week? Yeah, so one through five stayed the same, actually. Clemson, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Pitt. Just no, no, not much um, that we learned about any of those teams. Actually, one of them didn't even – or two of them didn't even play in UNC and Virginia Tech. I did move Miami up to six. Um, but I thought – I guess power rankings-wise, the big loser of that game was Louisville, who moved down from four to seven. So – I just kind of piece that together. Have to have Miami above Louisville after beating them sure-handedly, but I can't really move them above Pitt quite yet because they haven't, you know, quite proven, I guess, enough that they're better than them. Um, eight, Virginia staying still. Nine, Georgia Tech staying still. Moving up all the way to 10 from 13 was Boston College after their big win. And then the biggest mover of the week was NC State going from 15. I guess I – misrank them a little bit or at least for now because they moved four spots up to 11 then um wake moved down a spot florida state moved down a spot uh duke at 14 moved down two spots and syracuse has kind of cemented themselves as the worst team in the conference at 15 so what's your one through 15 real quick you had clemson one notre dame two and then what was the rest from there so three north carolina four virginia tech five Pitt, six Miami, seven Louisville, eight Virginia, nine Georgia Tech, 10 Boston College, 11 NC State, 12 Wake, 13 Florida State, 14 Duke, and 15 Syracuse. If you um, are a follower of my Twitter page, you will see these on there as well written down. Yeah, mine's on Twitter as well, but Man, we definitely are not seeing eye to eye as much as we were previously. That's for sure. Um, Clemson, Notre Dame stayed one and two for me. Miami jumped all the way from seven to three. My reasoning for that is UNC and Pitt's best wins are Syracuse. And we all know Louisville is honestly better than Syracuse. I think Syracuse's offense is worse than Louisville's defense. So that being said, I give the credit to Miami and making them third because it's about what I see, not what I expect moving forward. Four, UNC, so they bump one. Pitt bumped one down as well from four to five. Louisville jumped from – or uh, went from five to six. I didn't bump them that much because I was impressed with the offense, as well as I think Miami just looked good. Um, I think Miami's just that good of a team. Plus, I couldn't put Virginia Tech above them because Virginia Tech, I haven't seen anything from them yet. So I just feel like it's not fair to kind of have them be above Louisville at this point. Because, again, the defense looked awful, but the offense looked good. So I'm going to give Louisville the benefit of the doubt. Virginia stays locked at eight. Moving up for me from 15th, I had them last in the conference, to ninth is the Boston College Eagles. I don't know why I was so down on them. Maybe I didn't think Djokovic was as good as I thought. I thought they were going to struggle running the ball against Duke, which they did struggle doing that, but they ended up making up for it in the passing game. So, you know, that was a big jump from them. So they moved in all the way to nine. NC State went from 14 to 10 in my rankings as well. So they jumped four. Uh, Georgia Tech actually stayed the same at 11. Florida State stayed the same at 12. I think that, you know, those teams, Florida State obviously didn't play, and Georgia Tech, um, you know, losing to UCF was not a thing. They were, they were in the game. Still got some question marks. I bumped Wake all the way down from 9 to 13, as well as Duke from 10 to 14. 
and then Syracuse moving from 13 to 15 and Syracuse is locked in at 15 for the foreseeable future. If they, unless they come out and, and give me a show next week, I don't see them moving anytime soon. So um, my one through 15 quick Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, UNC, Pitt, Louisville, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Boston College, NC State, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Wake Forest, Duke, and Syracuse. So any final thoughts, Dan, before we wrap this up? We can dive in some NFL football. I actually don't even have it on yet. I'm, I'm sure your Jets are playing. My Ravens don't play till four, so I got some time. But any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Or My last thought is I'm excited for uh, week three and doing our preview on Tuesday. Yeah, I um, completely agree. That's – I think we kind of covered it all, but um, just season looking a lot more optimistic also in terms of getting it done. Um, fewer games canceled this week, and really the games that were canceled besides UVA and Virginia Tech were because of a non-conference opponent, so I'm feeling good about that. But as for you guys, uh, just stay safe and um, go ACC.